one man in Israel! Not one of God's people! I'll do it. David, you're no soldier, you're a shepherd. Yes, a shepherd. So I protect my sheep, God will protect me. Where is your faith? Where is your God? I will kill him. You'll need this. I'll be better without it. Though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. You are with me. The high rod and staff, they comfort me. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Pretty in-your-face, intense scene, huh? Some of the looks on your faces right now, I wish you could see them as well. That's pretty intense. This story, David and Goliath, I'm sure you've heard it. If you haven't, you're in for a treat. We're going to walk through this passage in 1 Samuel chapter 17. So if you have your Bibles with you, there's also some in the pew in front of you. Feel free to open them up, and we're going to dig into God's Word. But before we do that, since it is God's Word and He speaks to us through His Word, I want to start with a, an opportunity to pray together before we dig into the meat here. So, will you bow your heads with me as we pray over the message? Father, thank You for the opportunity to gather together around the Word of God. I thank You for this family, this, this congregation, and the great blessing that it is to worship together. And Lord, I just I ask that you would prepare our hearts for the word today. And Lord, anything that might be on our heart or mind that could be a distraction, I pray that your spirit would come and calm those things. Speak freely to us, and may our heart be in a posture to receive and respond today. 
And I just ask that you'd help the words to flow from me. And um, the things you've placed on my heart to share, God, I pray that they would be conveyed with great anointing and power. And we thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First Samuel chapter 17. My message is called, A Message Within a Battle Cry. I thought, too, later in the week, maybe I should have named this message in a battle instead of bottle. But, uh, yeah, that's just my brain. That's how it works. It's kind of goofy. But anyways, this story, David and Goliath, I think uh, another one that's popular in the Weller home. And uh, one thing that'll stick out to me for probably the rest of my life is when Judah threw down Paul Avens in the foyer one day playing David and Goliath. And, and you played a very good Goliath that day, Paul. He fell straight down, and you should have seen Judah's face. He was like, holy cow, that worked. <laughs> but you can imagine the difference in the size of these two. Goliath was a guy about nine foot nine inches. That's a big dude. And he had about 125 pounds worth of armor on him. He also had a spear that the head of that spear weighed about 15 pounds. You imagine that thing coming your way if he zings it. And he also had a guy who carried his shield. Wherever he went, that guy would carry the shield around. You think this had to have been a pretty scary dude, and obviously he kind of paralyzed the Israelite army, and you see this young guy, David, roll up on the scene and begin to think, this isn't right, and somebody needs to challenge him. And so that's a, a little bit of the, the lead-up to this, and you're going to see more of this as we read. I'm going to read a couple of sections here, um, but we'll cover pretty much all of 1 Samuel 17 today. So in verse 1, the Bible says that the Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped between Sukkah in Judah and Azekah at Ephes Damon. Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the, the Philistines and the Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. And he was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulders. And the shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him, carrying a shield. And Goliath stood, and he shouted a taunt, across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight? I am the Philistine champion, but you are only servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me, and if he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. And when Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. As this chapter continues, David's father, Jesse, who had boys in this Israelite army, sends David out to give them some supplies. And just as David arrives, 
the Israelites were leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. And David sees what's going on, and he starts asking questions. And those questions eventually lead him to King Saul. And that's where we pick up now in verse 32. David says this to King Saul. Don't worry about this Philistine. I'll go and fight him. Saul says, don't be ridiculous. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I, will, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I will do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from the Philistine. Now Saul finally consented. He says, all right, go ahead and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. And David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such a thing. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again, and he picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into his shepherd's bag. Then armed only with his shepherd's staff and a sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Goliath walked out toward David with his shield-bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at Lion, that you would come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his God. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. And David replied to the Philistine, You come at me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come at you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you, and I will cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. And as Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him, and reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling, and he hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled and fell down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. David used it to kill him and cut off his head. Now when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and they ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah gave a great shout of triumph and rushed after the Philistines, chasing them as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. The bodies of the dead and wounded Philistines were strewn all along the road from Sha'arim 
as far as Gath and Ekron. Then the Israelite army returned and plundered the deserted Philistine camp. And David took the Philistine's head to Jerusalem, but he stored the man's armor in his own tent. 1 Samuel 17. There's a little bit more in that chapter, but that's where I'm going to stop for today. In the ancient world, wars were sometimes decided in these head-to-head battles between the each, each army's champion. A champion was a man who would step out to fight between the battle lines, and it was believed that the gods, or in Israel's case, the God, would determine the matter through these, through, through these two champions. And you think that's an interesting way to settle the disputes, but that's how they did it in some cases. And so you see this, and the reason why I titled this message a message within a battle cry is because I think there's two different voices going on here. There's Goliath, who's obviously very loud. It seemed very abrupt after a very peaceful worship song. All of a sudden, this guy was shouting at all of you. You should have seen your faces. But this voice resembles to me a voice of the enemy, not just against Israel, but the voice of the enemy against our very souls. And I want to break down a few things from his battle cry that I think you can see how the enemy speaks these things over our life. So looking at verses 8 through 11, that's part of where he's talking, and then another slot in 43 and 44, here's some things that that Goliath has found strutting and, and taunting and sneering and cursing and shouting. This is what he's saying. I'm going to paraphrase some of this, but essentially in verse 8, he's kind of saying, what's the point when he asks them, why are you all coming out to fight? What's the point? The enemy of your soul will say those things. What's the point of all this? There's no purpose here. There's no purpose in this particular situation. He'd also say things like, you are nothing. That's something the enemy will say. And he says it through Goliath when he tells him, you're only servants of Saul. And he also says it to David when he calls him just a little dog, or excuse me, a little boy, and to think, and you come at me with your sticks? He also says, I defy you. And I can see where the enemy would say that in our life as well, trying to to screw with God's purpose and mess all that up. But in the midst of that, you also see him invoking demonic harm when the Bible says that he cursed David by the name of his gods. Well, we know that any other god besides the god is demonic. And so there he is, cursing David with this demonic harm. And then lastly, in verse 44, he says, basically, come here so I can kill you. The voice of Goliath, I think you can see the voice of the enemy behind that. The enemy that desires to seek, kill, and destroy your life. To take whatever God would purpose in your life and try to mess that up. To create this mindset that somehow you don't have value or you don't have worth. That's the voice of the enemy. And I'm thankful the story didn't just stop with this big old mean giant mocking Israel. You see this humble young boy, David, who didn't have a shield bearer, but he steps forward with his shield of faith 
and he speaks his message. And this is what he says, verses 45 through 47. This is the message of our creator, God, over our life. Verse 45, he essentially says, I come to you in the name of Jesus. That's how you can face your enemy today, just the way David faced Goliath. Come to your battle in the name of Jesus, not in your own name. See, the thing is, when struggles and situations happen in our life, one of the first things we do is we try to fix it. And we start sometimes complicating things when maybe it would have been better off to come to that situation in the name of the Lord first. David says, basically, the Lord will defeat you. He also says that God will get the glory. He emphasizes that God is real. He says that God rescues his people. And he also says that the battle belongs to the Lord. And those are things that we can take and apply them into our life today in the battle that you and I face each and every day. Do you guys realize that you're in a battle? If you don't, it's time to realize that. If you're clueless, the enemy already has an advantage on you. But you've got to come ready to battle and to know you can apply some things here that really will help in the midst of whatever you might be walking through. In this particular story, I want to pull out a couple of other little notes that I want to highlight for us to remember with this story. The first one is we need to remember God's faithfulness when we're in a battle. See, when, when David was sort of giving the reason to King Saul why he, why he feels he can go out and take care of Goliath, he explained all these times that God had been with them when he was a shepherd boy. And I think when you guys are in the midst of a battle, you need to recall those moments where God has been faithful in your life. Get the Bible open and look where God was faithful to people who obeyed him and followed him and put their faith and trust in him. Remember God's faithfulness when you're in the midst of the battle. Another thing to remember is that you and I we need to fight with the weapons that are from God. You saw this moment where David gets this armor on, and he's, you can just imagine, he's like, it's probably all baggy, and, stuff, and he's just like, I can't fight in this. Are you serious? It's like you're tying my hands behind my back to go out to this giant that's already at an advantage. And you've got to look at what he used. The Bible says he went out there with that staff, his sling, and the stones. Pretty simple. And I think sometimes when we're in a very difficult situation or we're facing a giant, the world likes to dream up all of these solutions that can be very sophisticated and they can be uh, all kinds of, of things that in, in a lot of ways they might seem good and they might seem like they'd work, but when we overcomplicate those things and we look past the simple things like prayer, and getting into God's Word and relying upon His Holy Spirit. I don't want to overcomplicate what it looks like to go and face your giant. Those are very simple weapons, but yet they're so profound. And we often forget those things. We run to other things for the answers or the solutions or the quick fix or the things that might alleviate some stress or what all that might look like, but we need to go 
there's a simpler way to fight this. And we can do that through the power of God. Another thing to note is a lesson in the midst of facing your giant. How many of you have ever had a test before in school? Okay. Wow, none of you, except for five. Awesome, cool. Well, there's no test today, but uh, the test was actually raising your hand, which you failed. But, um, <laughs> but in a test, you're testing things you've learned, things you know. And I want to draw your attention for a moment to Judges chapter 3. Because interestingly, as you're turning there, I'm going to just tell you, this did not end the Philistines, this little battle. They continued to be a thorn in the side for Israel. And so you'd think, well, this wiped them out, right? This is the big battle that, that got rid of them. And the answer to that is no. They, ha they are a problem over and over and over and over and over again for Israel. And you want to know the answer to why? It's found in Judges chapter 3. And I'm going to read that for you. The Bible says, Now these are the nations which the Lord left. Who left them? The Lord did. That he might test Israel by them. That is, all who have not known any of the wars in Canaan. This was only so that the generations of the children of Israel might be taught to know war, at least those who had not formerly known it. And it goes on to name these, and one of the names there would be the Philistines. And I look at that and I think, there's some value in the midst of facing a giant. You learn some things, don't you? You learn to experience God's miraculous power Another thing is you learn to, to experience how you can grow in the midst of facing those things. And I think it's easy to forget if we don't face hardship. And I think God was trying to say to Israel, I don't want these generations growing up without knowing the significance of what the promised land means. And I think you can look at that today and think, when I face struggles, when I face hardships, because we're not exempt from those things, we can recognize those and say, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask God, what can I learn in the midst of this since I'm walking through it? So remember the lessons of God. In closing, I want to show you this. This is... Uh, neat for me, and for you maybe there's no significance to it, but it's, it's a rock, okay? Um, some of you probably have one looking like this right in your landscaping. And honestly, if, if some of you want to remember today's message forever, um, grab one of our rocks in the landscaping, and you can take it home with you and remember it today. But this rock is special to me because uh, we had a school assembly speaker that came a few years ago, and he was a Messianic Jew. And he is one of the only school assembly speakers that is allowed into the nation of Israel to do school assemblies. And so every now and then on Facebook, I'll see that he's in Israel. And one day, he did a video in the Valley of Elah where this battle went down. And he was holding one of these rocks, and he said, 
When I travel around and I do school assemblies, I'll travel with these rocks from the Valley of Elah, and I'll give them to kids that I feel are struggling when I'm there at the school, and I'll talk with them about David and Goliath. And so I got on Facebook, and I was like, can you grab one of them and mail it to me? Because that is so cool, and that's what he did. He ended up mailing me this rock. Now, I, since then, I've been told that they dump, they, they dump rock loads of this stuff because people take them out of the Valley of Elah thinking this is, the, this is the one right here. And it could have been. I don't know, but not probably. But it, the, the, the significance of this was in that valley is huge to me. And this week, there's been a verse that's been popping up in my study that I just can't ignore, and it's 1 Samuel 2, verse 2, and the Bible says, No one is holy like the Lord, for there is no one beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. This is just a simple rock. But when it comes to our faith and winning the spiritual battle, we need the rock to stand on. And so, in closing, I want to just draw out a few things for you guys where I see the rock. When I say the rock, I mean Jesus in this story. One of the first ones is obvious. I've mentioned it. You see it as the rock. Okay, the enemy is very obvious. That's Satan. The other thing is, with this rock, David delivered quite a head wound. And I think back to the garden in Genesis chapter 3 that when sin entered into the world, God speaks to each in the garden, Satan, the woman, and the man. And he tells Satan that he will crush his head. And he was a prophetic statement of Jesus Christ. And I think as David whipped this and threw it and it smoked, Goliath in the head, I thought back to the garden where God said, Jesus will crush your head, Satan. What's interesting is this place called Calvary, this hillside that we read about and we hear about in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This hill was called the place of a skull or the place of the skull. And what's interesting in my study of this, and you see the different languages, I thought this was pretty cool. I don't know if you'll find it as intriguing as I did, but if I break these words down here, the first one is in the Greek, which was how the New Testament was written. You see this word cranion, which if you've ever heard of our word cranium, that's skull or brain, okay? You can also see this in Aramaic, Golgotha, skull. If you take that into the Latin word, that is where we get the word Calvary, skull. The place where Jesus was crucified was called the place of the skull. And all four Gospels make reference to this particular hill as the place where Jesus suffered and died. And it's believed that this location was called that due to the shape of the hill. If you've ever heard that before, it has a little bit of a shape, and it reminded people of a human skull. 
In my study this week, I was brought to one particular Jewish thought that this location could maybe have been made the place of the skull because of its significance with Goliath. The last verse I ended on was that uh, David took Goliath's head back to Jerusalem. That was 18 miles from battle. You know, they hadn't really fully taken over Jerusalem at that point. There was this clan there called the Jebusites, and if there's conflict in Jerusalem, what better way to sort of tell them you better understand who God is than by taking the head of a foe back to that city, and not just any foe, but this giant named Goliath. And I think it's possible that maybe David took that back to Jerusalem and maybe set it just outside the city. And if you look at the Hebrew word for Golgotha, you get this word, Golgoleth, which is essentially the head or the skull. And I look at that word and I think, that kind of sounds a lot like Goliath. Now, I don't want to speculate and make this into something that it's not, but I found this very intriguing. And even talking with Brian Young a little bit about this, he said that even the word Golgotha, Gol from Goliath, Gotha from Gath, he's heard that taught before from a Messianic Jew. And I, when I saw that and read that, I thought, oh my goodness, I have never thought about that ever with this story. But to think that maybe the, the very place where they had Goliath's head in Jerusalem is the very place that Jesus defeated sin and death. And I don't know about you, that's cool. And you can't necessarily pull that from Scripture, but to hear that being taught through some other people, it's intriguing, and it's just food for thought. But the last piece here where I see Jesus is in the names and the meaning of names for David and Goliath. David's name means beloved, and Goliath's name means revealed. And I'll walk you to Ephesians chapter 3, where Paul says that God himself revealed a mysterious plan to him. And that plan was this gospel of Jesus Christ that would unite people together as the children of God. I just think you see the gospel in this story of David and Goliath. My last question to you this morning as we close this message is, what are some things that you might be facing right now? Is there a giant in, in your life? And how are, you, how are you going into battle with that giant? And my hope is today that maybe you're encouraged to fight it with the weapons that God gives. And as we close our message this morning in recognizing that, that Jesus defeated the enemy on the cross, but it doesn't stop there. And whatever battle or whatever you might be facing in life, if you don't have Jesus, you're not on the winning side. Just because he's won the battle doesn't mean you've won. The only way you win is if you get him in your life. 
And so recognizing that, when we close in prayer, we're going to extend an opportunity to invite Christ into your life and allow him to come in and defeat sin and give you hope and a future that is only found in him. And so as we close together, will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, I thank you for the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. A few thousand years ago, you, you were there with David when he fought Goliath. Fast forward roughly a thousand years from that, and there you were on the hillside, dying to pay the price for our sin. Only days later to rise again, giving us the victory over sin and death, if we put our faith and trust in Christ. And Lord, if there's someone listening right now that feels like they're walking this journey without Christ, it's time to put your faith and trust in him. And so in the sacredness of this moment, I want to lead you in prayer to invite Christ into your life. Just pray with me silently in your heart and just say, Jesus, I need you in my life. So I ask that you'd come and you would forgive me of my sin and make me a new person. And I ask for, for your victory to reign in my life. And these struggles and these things that maybe I go to time and time and time again, I just, I commit those things to you and I ask that you, you would come and help me defeat the giants that are in my life. And as I walk with you, I pray that you give me incredible purpose to be about your work right here, right now. And Father, for, for those who might be facing giants in their life right now, I pray you'd give them great encouragement to continue to fight the battle and to know that, that you're real, that you rescue your people. And God, that in the midst of the battle, we know that the battle belongs to you, so we're going to come into that battle in the name of Jesus Christ. Equip these believers to fight the good fight to keep the faith and to finish the race that you've set before us. And we ask for your grace and your power and your courage to do so. And we thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.